Book Two, Chapter Two of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Two, Chapter Two New Characters. The dancing was not yet begun, but the company was met, and the sprightly violins were employed to quicken their motions, when the Cleves party entered the ballroom. They were distinguished immediately by a large party of officers, who assured Lionel, with whom they were acquainted, that they had impatiently been expected. "'I shall recompense you for waiting,' answered he, in a whisper, "'by introducing you to the rich heiress of Cleves, who now makes her first appearance from the nursery.' Uh, though now upon further thoughts i will only tell you she is one of our set and leave it to your own ingenuity to find her out while this was passing indiana fluttering with all the secret triumph of conscious beauty attended by edgar and guarded by miss margland walked up the room through a crowd of admiring spectators, in whom a new figure, without half her loveliness, would have excited the same curiosity, that her extreme inexperience attributed solely to her peculiar charms. Camilla and Eugenia followed rather as if in her train than of her party, but Lionel kept entirely with the officers, insisting upon their guessing which was the heiress, to whom, while he purposely misled their conjectures, he urged them to make their court by enumerating the present possessions of Sir Hugh and her future expectations. Camilla, however, passed not long unnoticed, though the splendor of Indiana's appearance cast her at first on the background a circumstance which, by impressing her with a sensation of inferiority, divested her mind of all personal considerations, and gave to her air and countenance a graceful simplicity, a disengaged openness, and a guileless freedom from affectation that rendered her, to the observant eye, as captivating upon examination as Indiana, from the first glance, was brilliant and alluring. And thus, as they patrolled the room, Indiana excited an unmixed admiration. Camilla awakened an endless variety of remark, while each being seen for the first time, and everyone else of the company for at least the second, all attention was their own, whether for criticism or for praise. To Indiana this answered in fulfilling her expectations. By Camilla it was unheeded, for not awaiting she did not perceive it, yet both felt equal satisfaction. The eyes of Camilla sparkled with delight as she surveyed all around her the gay novelty of the scene. The heart of Indiana beat with a pleasure wholly new as she discovered that all surrounding her regarded her as the principal object. Eugenia, meanwhile, had not even the negative felicity to pass unobserved. Impertinent witticisms upon her face, person, and walk, though not uttered so audibly as to be distinctly heard, ran round the room in a confused murmur, and produced a disposition for sneering in the satirical, and for tittering in the giddy, that made her as valuable an acquisition to the company at large, who collect for any amusement, indifferent to its nature, as her fair cousin proved to the admirers of beauty, and her sister to the developers of expression. 
she was shielded however herself from all undeserved mortifications by not suspecting any were meant for her and by a mind delightedly preoccupied with that sudden expansion of ideas with which new scenery and new objects charm a youthful imagination when they had taken two or three turns up and down the room the saunterers were called upon to give place to the dancers edgar then led out indiana and the master of the ceremonies brought Major Sirwood to Camilla. Eugenia, wholly left out, became the exclusive charge of Miss Margland. She felt no resentment of neglect, for she had formed no species of expectation. She looked on with perfect contentment, and the motley and quick-changing group afforded her ample entertainment. Miss Margland was not so passive. She seized the opportunity of inveighing very angrily against the mismanagement of Sir Hugh. "'If you had all,' she cried, "'been taken to town, and properly brought out, according to my advice, such a disgrace as this could never have happened. Everybody would have known who you were, and then, there is no doubt, you might have had partners enough. However, I heartily hope you won't be asked to dance all the evening, that he may be convinced who is in the right.' Besides, the more you are tired, the more you may see, against another time, Miss Eugenia, that it is better to listen a little to people's opinions when they speak only for your own advantage, than to go on with just the same indifference as if you had no proper person to consult with. Eugenia was too well amused to heed this remonstrance, and, long accustomed to hear the voice of Miss Margland without profit or pleasure, her ear received its sound, but her attention included not its purpose. Indiana and Camilla, in this public essay, acquitted themselves with all the merits and all the faults common to a first exhibition. The spectators upon such occasion, though never equally observant, are never afterwards so lenient. Whatever fails is attributed to modesty, more winning than the utmost success of excellence. Timidity solicits that mercy which pride is most gratified to grant. The blushes of juvenile shame atone for the deficiencies which cause them, and awkwardness itself, in the unfounded terrors of youth, is perhaps more interesting than grace. Indiana could with difficulty keep to the figure of the dance, from the exulting yet unpractised certainty of attracting all eyes, and Camilla perpetually turned wrong, from the mere flutter of fear which made her expect she should never turn right. Major Sirwood, her partner, with a view to encourage her, was profuse in his compliments, but as new to what she had heard as what she performed, she was only the more confused by the double claim to her attention. Edgar, meanwhile, was most assiduous to aid his fair partner. Miss Margland, though scarcely even superficial in general knowledge, was conversant in the practical detail of the hackneyed mode of forming matrimonial engagements. She judged, therefore, rightly, that her pupil would be seen to most advantage in the distinction of that adulation by which new beholders would stamp new value on her charms. From the time of his first boyish gallantry, on the ill-fated birthday of Camilla, Indiana had never so much struck young Mandelbear as when he attended her up the assembly room. Miss Margland observed this with triumph, and prophesied the speediest conclusion to her long and weary sojourn at Cleves, in the much-wished-for journey to London, with a bride ready-made and an establishment ready-formed. 
when the two first dances were over the gentlemen were desired to change partners major sirwood asked the hand of indiana and edgar repaired to camilla do you bear malice he cried with a smile or may i now make the claim that sir hugh relinquished for me oh yes answered she with alacrity when informed of the plan of change and i wish there was anybody else that would dance with me afterwards instead of that major i dare believe said he laughing there are many bodies else who would oblige you if your declaration were heard but what has the major done to you has he admired you without knowing how to keep his own counsel oh, no no only has treated me like a country simpleton and made me as many fine speeches as if he had been talking to indiana you think then indiana would have swallowed flattery with less difficulty oh no indeed but i think the same thing said to her would no longer have been so extravagant edgar to whom the sunbeams of the mind gave a glow which not all the sparkling rays of the brightest eyes could emit respected her modesty too highly to combat it and dropping the subject inquired what was become of eugenia oh poor eugenia cried she i see nothing of her and i am very much afraid she has no better partner all this time than miss margland edgar turning round presently discerned her she was still looking on with an air of the most perfect composure examining the various parties totally without suspicion of the examination she was herself sustaining while miss margolin was vainly pouring in her ears observations or exhortations evidently of a complaining nature there is something truly respectable said edgar in the innate philosophy with which she bears such neglect yet i wish it were put less to the proof said camilla i would give the world somebody would take her out you don't think she would dance oh yes she would her lameness is no impediment for she never thinks of it we all learnt together at cleves dancing gives her a little more exertion and therefore a little more fatigue than other people but that is all after these two dances then will you be her partner interrupted camilla oh go to her at once immediately and you will give me twenty times more pleasure than i can have in dancing myself she then flew to a form and eagerly seated herself where she perceived the first vacancy to stop any debate and enforce his consent the dance which had been delayed by a dispute about the tune was now beginning edgar looking after her with affected reproach but real admiration asked the hand of eugenia who gave it with readiness and pleasure for though contented as a spectatress she experienced an agreeable surprise in becoming a party engaged camilla happy in her own good humour now looked at her neighbours one of which was an elderly lady who wholly employed in examining and admiring the performance of her own daughters saw nothing else in the room the other was a gentleman much distinguished by his figure and appearance and dressed so completely in the extreme of fashion as more than to border upon foppery the ease and negligence of his air denoted a self-settled superiority to all about him yet from time to time there was an archness in the glance of his eye that promised under a deep and wilful veil of conceit and affectation 
a secret disposition to deride the very follies he was practising. He was now lounging against the wainscot, with one hand on his side and the other upon his eyelids, occupying the space without using the seat to the left of Camilla. Miss Margland, perceiving what she regarded as a fair vacancy, made up to the spot, and saying, "'Sir, by your leave,' was preparing to take possession of the place, when the gentleman, as if without seeing her, dropped suddenly into it himself, and pouring a profusion of eau suave upon his handkerchief, exclaimed, "'What a vastly bad room this is for dancing!' Camilla, concluding herself addressed, turned round to him, but seeing he was sniffing up the eau suave without looking at her, imagined he meant to speak to Miss Margland. Miss Margland was of the same opinion, and with some pique at his seizing thus her intended seat, rather sharply answered, "'Yes, sir, and it's a vast bad room for not dancing, for if everybody would dance that ought, there would be accommodation sufficient for other people.' "'Incomparably well observed,' cried he, collecting some bonbons from a bonbonniere, and swallowing one after another with great rapidity. "'But won't you sit down? You must be enormously tired. Let me supplicate you to sit down.' Miss Markland, supposing he meant to make amends for his inattention by delivering up the place, civilly thanked him, and said she should not be sorry, for she had stood a good while." "'Have you indeed?' cried he, sprinkling some jessamine drops upon his hands. "'How horribly abominable! Why don't some of those mercuries, those granny meads, those waiters, I believe you call them, get you a chair?' Miss Marglin, excessively affronted, turned her back to him, and Camilla made an offer of her own seat, but, as she had been dancing and would probably dance again, Miss Marglin would not let her rise.' "'Shall I call to one of those barbarians, those Goths, those Vandals?' cried the same gentleman, who was now spurting lavender water all about him, with grimaces that proclaimed forcibly his opinion of the want of perfume in the room. "'Do pray let me harangue them a little for you upon their inordinate want of sensibility.' Miss Margland deigned not any answer, but of that he took no notice, and presently called out, though without raising his voice, "'Here, Mr. Waiter, purveyor, surveyor, or whatsoever other title please thine ear, art thou deaf? Why dost not bring this lady a chair? Those people are most amazing, hard of hearing. Shall I call again? Waiter, I say,' still speaking rather lower than louder, "'don't I stun you by this shocking vociferation?' "'Sir, you're vastly obliging.' cried Miss Marglin, unable longer to hold silence, yet with a look and manner that would much better have accorded with vastly impertinent. She then pursued a waiter herself, and procured a chair. Casting his eyes next upon Camilla, he examined her with much attention. Abashed, she turned away her head, but not choosing to lose his object, he called it back again by saying, "'How is Sir Hugh?' A good deal surprised, she exclaimed, "'Do you know my uncle, sir?' "'Not in the least, ma'am,' he coolly answered. Camilla, much wondering, was then forced into conversation with Miss Margland, but without paying any regard to her surprise, he presently said, "'It's most extremely worth your while to take a glance at that inimitably good figure. Is it not exquisite? Can you suppose 
anything beyond it camilla looking at the person to whom he pointed and who was sufficiently ludicrous from an air of vulgar solemnity and a dress stiffly new though completely old-fashioned felt disposed to join in his laugh had she not been disconcerted by the mingled liberty and oddity of his attack sir said miss margland winking at her to be silent though eager to answer in her stead the mixed company one always meets at these public halls makes them very unfit for ladies of fashion for there's no knowing who one may either dance with or speak to vastly true ma'am cried he superciliously dropping his eyes not to look at her miss margland perceiving this bridled resentfully and again talked on with camilla till another exclamation interrupted them oh pray cried he i do entreat you to look at that group is it not past compare if ever you held a pencil in your life i beg and beseech you to take a memorandum of that tall maypole have you ever seen anything so excessively delectable camilla could not forbear smiling but miss margland taking all reply upon herself said caricatures sir are by no means pleasing for young ladies to be taking at their first coming out one does not know who may be next if once they get into that habit immeasurably well spoken ma'am returned he and rising with a look of disgust he sauntered to another part of the room miss margland extremely provoked said she was sure he was some irish fortune hunter dressed out in all he was worth and charged camilla to take no manner of notice of him when the two second dances were over edgar conducting eugenia to miss margland said to camilla now at least if there is not a spell against it will you dance with me and if there is one too cried she gaily for i am perfectly disposed to help breaking it she rose and they were again going to take their places when miss margland reproachfully calling after edgar demanded what he had done with miss lindmere at the same moment led by major sirwood who was paying her in full all the arrears of that gallantry miss margland had taught her to regret hitherto missing indiana joined them the major in making his bow lamenting the rules of the assembly that compelled him to relinquish her hand mr mandelbert said miss margland you see miss lindmere is again disengaged yes ma'am answered edgar drawing camilla away and every gentleman in the room will be happy to see it too stop miss camilla cried miss margland i thought mr mandelbert sir hugh had put miss lindmere under your protection oh it does not signify said indiana colouring high with a new raised sense of importance i don't at all doubt but one or the other of the officers will take care of me edgar though somewhat disconcerted would still have proceeded but camilla alarmed by the frowns of miss margolin begged him to lead out her cousin and promising to be in readiness for the next two dances glided back to her seat he upbraided her in vain miss margolin looked pleased and indiana was so much piqued that he found it necessary to direct all his attention to appeasing her as he led her to join the dance 
a gentleman now eminently distinguished by personal beauty approached the ladies that remained and in the most respectful manner began conversing with miss margland who received his attentions so gratefully that when he told her he only wanted to see the master of the ceremonies at leisure in order to have the honour of begging the hand of one of her young ladies his civilities so conquered all her pride of etiquette that she assured him there was no sort of occasion for such a formality with a person of his appearance and manners and was bidding camilla rise who was innocently preparing to obey when to the surprise of them all he addressed himself to eugenia there cried miss margland exultingly when they were gone that gentleman is completely a gentleman i saw it from the beginning how different to that impertinent fop that spoke to us just now he has the politeness to take out miss eugenia because he sees plainly nobody else will think of it except just mr mandelbear or some such old acquaintance major sirwood was now advancing towards camilla with that species of smiling and bowing manner which is the usual precursor of an invitation to a fair partner when the gentleman whom miss margland had just called an impertinent fop with a sudden swing not to be eluded cast himself between the major and camilla as if he had not observed his approach and spoke to her in a voice so low that though she concluded he asked her to dance she could not distinctly hear a word he said a good deal confused she looked at him for an explanation while the major from her air of attention supposing himself too late retreated her new beau then carelessly seating himself by her side indolently said what a hate i have not the most distant idea how you can bear it camilla found it impossible to keep her countenance at such a result of a whisper though she complied with the injunctions of miss margolin in avoiding mutual discourse with a stranger of so showy an appearance yet they're dancing on he continued just as if the greenland snows were inviting their exercise i should really like to find out what those people are made of can you possibly imagine their composition heedless of receiving no answer he soon after added i am vastly glad you don't like dancing me cried camilla surprised out of her caution yes you hold it in antipathy don't you uh, no indeed far from it don't you really cried he starting back that's amazingly extraordinary surprising in the extreme will you have the goodness to tell me what you like in it sir interfered miss margolin there's nothing but what's very natural in a young lady's taking pleasure in an elegant accomplishment provided she is secure from any improper partner or company irrefragably just ma'am answered he affecting to take a pinch of snuff and turning his head another way here lionel hastily running up to camillo whispered i have made a fine confusion among the redcoats about the heiress of cleves i have put them all upon different scents he was then going back when a faint laugh from the neighbour of camilla detained him look i adjure you cried he addressing her if there's not that delightful creature again with his brand-new clothes and they sit upon him so tight he can't turn round his vastly droll figure except like a puppet with one jerk for the whole body he is really an immense treat i should like of all things in nature to know who he can be a waiter then passing with a glass of water for a lady he stopped him in his way exclaiming 
pray my extremely good friend can you tell me who that agreeable person is that stands there with the air of a poker yes sir answered the man i know him very well his name is dubster he is quite a gentleman to my knowledge and has very good fortunes camilla cried lionel will you have him for a partner and immediately hastening up to him he said two or three words in a low voice and skipped back to the dance mr dubster then walked up to her and with an air conspicuously awkward solemnly said so you want to dance ma'am convinced he had been sent to her by lionel but by no means choosing to display herself with a figure distinguished only as a mark for ridicule she looked down to conceal her ever-ready smiles and said she had been dancing some time but if you like to dance again ma'am said he i am very ready to oblige you she now saw that this offer had been requested as a favor and while half provoked half diverted grew embarrassed how to get rid of him without involving a necessity to refuse afterwards edgar and every other for miss margland had informed her of the general rules upon these occasions she looked therefore at that lady for counsel while her neighbor sticking his hands in his side surveyed him from head to foot with an expression of such undisguised amusement that mr dubster who could not help observing it cast towards him from time to time a look of the most angry surprise miss margland approving as well as understanding the appeal now authoritatively interfered saying sir i suppose you know the etiquette in public places the what ma'am cried he staring you know i suppose sir that no young lady of any consideration dances with a gentleman that is a stranger to her without he's brought to her by the master of the ceremonies oh as to that ma'am i have no objection i'll go see for him if you're a mind it makes no difference to me and away he went so you really intend dancing with him cried camilla's neighbour twill be a vastly good sight i have not the most remote conception how he will bear the pulling and jostling about bend he cannot but i am immensely afraid he will break i will give fifty guineas for his portrait he is indubitably put together without joints mr dubster now returned and with a look of some disturbance said to miss margland ma'am i don't know which is the master of the ceremonies i can't find him out for i don't know as ever i see him oh pray cried camilla eagerly do not take the trouble of looking for him twill answer no purpose why i think so too ma'am said he misunderstanding her for as i don't know the gentleman myself he could go no great way towards making us better acquainted with one another so we may just as well take our skip at once camilla now looked extremely foolish and miss margland was again preparing an obstacle when mr dubster started one himself the worst is cried he i have lost one of my gloves and i am sure i had two when i came i suppose i may have dropped it in the other room if you shan't mind it i'll dance without it for i don't mind these things myself of a straw oh sir cried miss margland that's such a thing as never was heard of i can't possibly consent to let miss camilla dance in such a manner as that why then if you like it better ma'am i'll go back and look for it 
Again, Camilla would have declined giving him any trouble, but he seemed persuaded it was only from shyness and would not listen. "'Though the worst is,' he said, "'you're losing so much time. However, I'll give a good hunt, unless indeed that gentleman, who was doing nothing himself except looking on at us all, would be kind enough to lend me his.' "'I rather fancy, sir,' cried the gentleman, immediately recovering from a laughing fit, and surveying the requester with supercilious contempt. "'I rather suspect they would not perfectly fit you.' "'Why, then,' cried he, "'I think I'll go and ask Tom Hicks to tend me a pair, for it's a pity to let the young lady lose her dance for so small a trifle as that.' Camilla began remonstrating, but he tranquilly walked away. "'You are superlatively in the good graces of fortune to-night,' cried her new friend. "'Superlatively to a degree. "'You may not meet with such an invaluably uncommon object in twenty lustres.' "'Certainly,' said Miss Marglin. "'There's a great want of regulation at balls "'to prevent low people from asking who they will to dance with them. "'It's bad enough one can't keep people one knows nothing of "'from speaking to one.' "'Admirably hit off! Admirable in the extreme!' he answered, suddenly twisting himself round, and beginning a whispering conversation with a gentleman on his other side. Mr. Dubster soon came again, saying somewhat dolorously, "'I have looked high and low for my glove, but I am no nearer. I dare say someone has picked it up out of a joke and put it in their pocket. And as to Tom Hicks—' Where he can be hid, I can't tell unless he has hanged himself, for I can't find him no more than my glove. However, I got a boy to go and get me a pair, if all the shops ain't shut up. Camilla, fearing to be involved in a necessity of dancing with him, expressed herself very sorry for this step, but again, misconceiving her motive, he begged her not to mind it, saying, "'A pair of gloves here or there is no great matter.' All I am concerned for is putting you off so long from having a little pleasure, for I dare say the boy won't come till the next two batches. So, if that gentleman that looks so particular at me has a mind to jig it with you a bit himself in the interim, I won't be his hindrance. Receiving no answer, he bent his head lower down and said in a louder voice, Pray, sir, did you hear me? "'Sir, you are ineffably good,' was the reply, without a look or any further notice. Much affronted, he said no more, but stood pouting and stiff before Camilla, till the second dance was over, and another general separation of partners took place. "'I thought how it would be, ma'am,' he then cried, "'for I know it's no such easy matter to find shops open at this time of night.' "'for if people's prentices can't take a little pleasure by now, they can't never.' Tea being at this time ordered, the whole party collected to remove to the next room. Lionel, seeing Mr. Dubster standing by Camilla, with a rapturous laugh, cried, "'Well, sister, have you been dancing?' Camilla, though laughing too, reproachfully shook her head at him, while Mr. Dubster gravely said, "'It's no fault of mine, sir,' "'that that lady's sitting still, for I come and I offered myself to her "'the moment you told me she wanted a partner. "'But I happened of the misfortune of losing one of my gloves "'and not being able to find Tom Hicks. "'I've been waiting all this while for a boy "'as has promised to get me a pair. 
though I suppose he's fell down in the dark and broke his skull by his not coming. And indeed, if that elderly lady had not been so particular, I might as well have done without. For if I had one on, nobody would have been the wiser, but that t'other might have been in my pocket. This speech, spoken without any ceremony in the hearing of Miss Margland, to the visible and undisguised delight of Lionel, so much enraged her that, hastily calling him aside, she peremptorily demanded how he came to bring such a vulgar partner to his sister. "'Because you took no care to get her a better,' he answered heedlessly. Camilla also began to remonstrate, but without hearing her, he courteously addressed himself to Mr. Dubster, and told him he was sure Miss Margland and his sister would expect the pleasure of his company to join their party at tea. Miss Margland frowned in vain. Mr. Dubster bowed as at a compliment but his due, observing he should then be close at hand for his partner, and they were proceeding to the tea-room when the finer new acquaintance of Camilla called after Mr. Dubster, "'Pray, my good sir, who may this Signor Tommaso be, that has the honour to stand so high in your good graces?' "'Man, sir,' cried Mr. Dubster, "'I know no Signor Tommaso, nor Signor nothing else, neither, so I don't know what you mean.' "'Did I not hear you dilating, my very good sir, upon a certain Mr. Tom-somebody?' "'What?' "'I suppose then, sir, if the truth be known, you would say Tom Hicks?' "'Very probably, sir, though I am not of the first accuracy as the gentleman's nomenclator.' "'What? Don't you know him, sir? Why, he's the head waiter.' Then, following the rest of the party, he was placed by the assistance of Lionel next to Camilla in other defiance of all angry glances of Miss Margland, who herself invited the handsome partner of Eugenia to join their group, and reaped some consolation in his willing civilities, till the attention of the whole assembly was called, or rather commanded, by a new object. A lady, not young, but still handsome, with an air of fashion easy almost to insolence, with a complete but becoming undress, with a work-bag hanging on her arm, whence she was carelessly nodding, entered the ballroom alone, and, walking straight through it to the large folding-glass doors of the tea-room, there stopped, and took a general survey of the company, with a look that announced a decided superiority to all she saw, and a perfect indifference to what opinion she occurred in return. She was immediately joined by all the officers, and several other gentlemen, whose eagerness to shew themselves of her acquaintance marked her for a woman of some consequence, though she took little other notice of them, than of giving to each some frivolous commission, telling one to hold her work-bag, bidding another to fetch her a chair, a third ask her a glass of water, and a fourth take care of her cloak. She then planted herself, just without the folding doors, declaring there could be no breathing in the smaller apartment, and sent about the gentlemen for various refreshments, all which she rejected when they arrived with extreme contempt and a thousand fantastic grimaces. The tea-table at which Miss Margland presided being nearest to these folding doors, she and her party heard from time to time most of what was said, especially by the newly arrived lady, who, though she now and then spoke for several minutes in a laughing whisper to someone she called to her side, 
uttered most of her remarks and all her commands quite aloud with that sort of deliberate ease which belongs to the most determined negligence of who heard or who escaped hearing her who were pleased or who were offended camilla and eugenia were soon wholly engrossed by this new personage and lionel seeing her surrounded by the most fashionable men of the assembly forgot mr dubster and his gloves in an eagerness to be introduced to her Colonel Andover, to whom he applied, willingly gratified him. "'Give me leave, Mrs. Albury,' cried he, to the lady who was then conversing with General Kinsale, "'to present to you Mr. Tyrold.' "'For heaven's sakes, don't speak to me just now,' cried she. "'The General is telling me the most interesting thing in the world. Go on, dear General.' Lionel, who, if guided by his own natural judgment, would have conceived this to be the height of ill-breeding or of ignorance, no sooner saw Colonel Andover bow in smiling submission to her orders than he concluded himself all in the dark with respect to the last licenses of fashion, and while contentedly he waited her leisure for his reception, he ran over in his own mind the triumph with which he should carry to Oxford the newest flourish of the bon ton. In a few minutes, after gaily laughing with the general, she turned suddenly to Colonel Andover, and striking him on the arm with her fan, exclaimed, well now colonel what is it you would say mr tyrold he answered is very ambitious of the honour of being introduced to you with all my heart which is he and then nodding to lionel's bow you live i think she added in this neighbourhood oh, by the way colonel how came you never to bring mr tyrold to me before mr tyrold i flatter myself you intend to take this very ill Lionel was beginning to express his sense of the loss he had suffered by the delay, when again patting the colonel, "'Only look, I beg you,' she cried, "'at that insupportable Sir Sedley Clarendell, how he sits at his ease there, amusing his ridiculous fancy with every creature he sees. Yet what an elegant posture the animal has found out! I make no doubt he would as soon forfeit his estate as give up that attitude. I must make him come to me immediately for that very reason. Do go to him good andover and say i want him directly the colonel obeyed but not so the gentleman he addressed who was the new acquaintance of camilla he only bowed to the message and kissing his hand across the room to the lady desired the colonel to tell her he was ineffably tired but would incontestably have the honour to throw himself at her feet the next morning oh intolerable cried she he grows more conceited every hour yet what an agreeable wretch it is there's nothing like him i cannot possibly do without him andover tell him if he does not come this moment he kills me and is that a message said general kinsale to cure him of being conceited oh, heaven forbid my good general i should cure him that would utterly spoil him his conceit is precisely what enchants me rob him of that and you'll lose all hold of him is it then necessary to keep him a fop in order to retain him in your chains oh he is not in my chains i promise you a fop my dear general wears no chains but his own however i like to have him because he is so hard to be got and i am fond of conversing with him because he is so ridiculous fetch him therefore colonel without delay this second embassy prevailed he shrugged his shoulders but arose to follow the colonel see madame your victory said the general 
why would not a military man give for such talents of command ay but look with what magnificent tardiness he obeys orders there is something quite irresistible to his impertinence tis so conscious and so piquant i think general tis a little like my own sir sedley now advancing seized the back of a chair which he twirled round for a resting-place to his elbow and exclaimed you know yourself invincible with an air that shewed him languidly prepared for her reproaches but to his own surprise and that of all around him she only with a smile and a nod cried how do you do and immediately turning wholly away from him addressed herself to colonel andover desiring him to give her the history of who was in the tea-room at this time a young ensign who had been engaged at a late dinner in the neighbourhood stroamed into the ball-room with the most visible marks of his unfitness for appearing in it and in total ignorance of his own condition went up to colonel andover and clapping him upon the back called out with a loud oath colonel i hope you have taken care to secure me the prettiest little young angel in the room you know with what sincerity i despise an old hag the colonel with some concern advised him to retire but insensible to his counsel he uttered oath upon oath and added i'm not to be played upon colonel beauty in a pretty girl is as necessary an ingredient as honor in a brave soldier and i could find in my heart to sink down to the bottom of the channel every fellow without one and every dear creature without the other then in defiance of all remonstrance he staggered into the tea-room and after a short survey stopped opposite to indiana and swearing aloud she was the handsomest angel he had ever beheld begged her hand without further ceremony, assuring her he had broken up the best party that had yet been made for him in the country, merely for the joy of dancing with her. Indiana, to whom not the smallest doubt of the truth of this assertion occurred, and who, not suspecting he was intoxicated, thought his manner the most spirited and gallant she had ever seen, was readily accepting his offer when Edgar, who saw her danger, started up and exclaimed, this lady sir is engaged to dance the next two dances with me the lady did not tell me so sir cried the ensign firing miss linmere replied edgar coolly will pardon me that on this occasion my memory has an interest to be better than hers i believe it is time for us to take our places he then whispered a brief excuse to Camilla, and hurried Indiana to the ballroom. The ensign, who knew not that she had danced with him the last time, was obliged to submit, while Indiana, not conjecturing the motive that now impelled Edgar, was in a yet brighter blaze of beauty from an exhilarating notion that there was a contest for the honor of her hand. Camilla, once more disappointed of Edgar, had now no resource against Mr. Dubster, but the non-arrival of the gloves, for he had talked so publicly of waiting for them to dance with her that every one regarded her as engaged. No new proposition being made for Eugenia, Miss Margland permitted her again to be led out by the handsome stranger. When she was gone, Mr. Dubster, who kept constantly close to Camilla, said, "'They tell me, ma'am, 
That ugly little body's a great fortune. Camilla very innocently asked who he meant. Why, that little lame thing that was here drinking tea with you. Tom Hicks says she'll have a power o' money. Camilla, whose sister was deservedly dear to her, looked much displeased, but Mr. Dubster, not perceiving it, continued, "'He recommended to me to dance with her myself from the first upon that account. But I says to him, says I, I had no notion that a person who had such a hobble in their gait would think of such thing as going to dancing. But there I was out, for as to the women, asking your pardon, ma'am, there's nothing'll put them off from their pleasure.' but however for my part i had no thought of dancing at all if it had not been for that young gentleman's asking me for i'm not over fond of such jiggits as they've no great use in em only i happened to be this way upon a little matter of business so i thought i might as well come and see the hop as tom hicks could contrive to get me a ticket this was the sort of discourse with which Camilla was regaled till the two dances were over, and then, begging her to sit still till he came back, he quitted her to see what he could do about his gloves. Edgar, when he returned with Indiana, addressed himself privately to Miss Margland, whom he advised to take the young ladies immediately home, as it would not be possible for him a second time to break through the rules of the assembly, and Indiana must, therefore, inevitably accept the young ensign, who already was following and claiming her, and whose condition was obviously improper for the society of ladies. Miss Margland, extremely pleased with him for thus protecting her pupil, instantly agreed, and collecting her three young charges, hastened them down the stairs, though the young ensign, inflamed with angry disappointment, uttered the most bitter lamentations at their sudden departure, and though Mr. Dubster, pursuing them to the coach-door, called out to Camilla, in a tone of pique and vexation, "'Why, what are you going for now, ma'am, when I have just got a new pair of gloves that I have brought o purpose?' End of chapter 2